Hi everyone, uh, welcome back to another episode of the County Corner Podcast. We've got a slightly different episode lined up for you today. Staggers View and the County Corner have come together to chat to Andrew Henderson about his upcoming event, Seen and Heard Live. The event, which sees Pride of the Terraces, Leap Sports Scotland and Highland Pride come together for two panel discussions celebrating the LGBTQ plus community in sport. The event is due to take place at Eden Court in Inverness on Friday the 9th of February 2024 at 7pm. We've heard a few times from Andrew on the podcast previously about all things Ross County and his experiences in journalism, but this time Andrew sat down with Peter and Ramsey from Staggy's View and myself and Stephen from the County Corner to talk about his personal experiences as part of the LGBTQ plus community and why the upcoming event means so much to him. This is part two of the two-part interview with part one over on Staggy's View. We'll leave the link to their podcast along with all the ticketing details for Seen and Heard Live down in the description below. It felt like a good time to have this discussion with Andrew as February is Football v Homophobia's Month of Action and we'll leave the link to their website and their socials down below. So we'll get part two of the two-part interview underway. And Ramsey will be kicking us off with a question for Andrew. So, enjoy. You talked about um, sort of some people saying, oh, you know, caving into wokeness, etc. Um, that's obviously like scaremongering. So do you think there's a big part of it is sort of, I think you yourself said de- de-demonizing it. Um, do you think that's a big part of it? Because, you know, People like Joey Barton, for example, that's an extreme example. He's obviously trying to promote a podcast and I won't hear otherwise. Um, people like him are obviously th- throwing spanners in the works left, right and centre. And it's obviously really harmful. How much of it do you think is sort of making sure people don't pay heed to people like that? I think it's an interesting one because people are entitled to their opinions. That doesn't mean I think their opinions are right right? People are entitled to their opinions, but we're entitled to disagree with them and vice versa. So there will be some people who genuinely believe that it's PC gone mad, it's woke culture, it's all that sort of stuff. Like I say, my perspective of pretty much all of that is it's just about having a bit of care for other human beings. That's what it comes back to. It's being cautious of language that you use, trying to welcome people into the sport instead of excluding them is just about saying, well, you are a human being. You deserve these same sort of opportunities. You deserve the same access to things that I do. It's not, one doesn't come at the detriment of the other. Um, And that is something that I wish more people understood and appreciated. But I also do think that is the minority of people. Like I said before, social media isn't real life. The stuff that you see people tweeting is not what somebody would say walking down the street. It's not what they would say in a football stadium. Maybe it's a little bit closer to what you'd see in a football stadium because I'll actually go back to a phrase Malky Mackay used in a press conference with us a few times. Football stadiums are safe spaces for abuse. I don't think that's in any doubt, whether that's towards players, managers, referees, minorities, whoever. People get away with things and do things in football grounds that they wouldn't do in everyday life. But that also just reinforces why it's so important to have these campaigns and to have those inclusive and welcoming messages in sporting environments, because historically, that is not a place LGBTQ plus people have felt safe. It's not a place LGBTQ plus people have felt that they're able to go along to. 
at all, full stop. Never mind to go along and enjoy it. Um, so the whole the whole woke thing, there's an element of seeing it for what it really is, like people like Joey Barton promoting a podcast. Um, but there's an element of people, I think, misunderstanding what woke is and means. Um, and I think if people are particularly set in the mindset that this is a woke agenda gone mad or whatever, however you want to describe it. I think those people are the, the, the vast, vast minority. I could be wrong. I, I hope I'm not proven wrong, but I'm, yeah, sometimes you just have to accept some people are going to think what they're going to think and focus on the things you can change and you can control a little bit more, which is a shame, but there, there's only so much you could do. There's only, only so many battles you can fight. Um, and if somebody is stuck in that mindset and stuck in their ways and there's no chance of changing their mind, leave them be. They'll probably be shouting into the void sooner rather than later. As this is getting quite political now. Should I apologize? No, no I, do, I find this really interesting, actually, Andrew, because I watched, um, it was in relation to Joey Barton, Piers Morgan then had, and it was to do with the female, if I'm right, he's talking about female commentators and journalists on this one. And I thought, if you want to go and see something brilliant, and I'm talking about a, a journalist who's um, Bianca Westwood, who's a fantastic sports journalist, really knowledgeable, West Ham fan, understands football, learned her trade, irrespective of male or female, she knows her onions. And she went on there, and Piers Morgan tried to spin a narrative, and she absolutely destroyed him. And it was tremendous. I thought it was absolutely tremendous because she did it in a way which she was just so cool and smart and it was stat after fact after positive opinion. And at the end, he had no comeback. <laughs> it was great. And it was like, they didn't, he didn't, she didn't have to say someone was wrong. She just really presented it. It was like, I was thinking if I'm ever in court, I want her representing me because she was just tremendous. Like, I thought she was really... And I've always respected I've always thought, and again, I'm a big advocate for women in football and all groups in football, because, you know, we've had chats as well, Andrew, when we were off the podcast. And, you know, my opinion is football can be a real positive vehicle for anything. That's my, my opinion. I, I love the beautiful game. I think it's one of the most best things around football. And there's, a, yes, there's a lot of negative sides to it. Um, but I think there's a lot of positives that football can be. Do you know what I mean? I've got, as I said, two young boys. And I'm really immersing them in football now because I feel it's going to, you know, help them just not develop but understand the world we, we live in as well. And I think that can be a real positive thing for them to uh, to do in that and stuff. You know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and this is part of the reason I'm so passionate about it because I have seen the positive impact that sport can have on people's lives. Yeah. Just generally speaking, never mind LGBTQ plus or not. I have yeah. seen what sport can do for people, and I just wish that was more accessible. For, for this particular demographic that I'm a part of. Because if anything, it could have an even bigger impact for them when yeah. they haven't had that, right? And it was interesting, you were making so you were making a good point earlier on when you were talking about society and football. And I, I, what annoys me is when society blames football for not making the change. When it's like, well, it's everyone's responsibility then to make a change. You can't just put it on football's shoulders. And I sometimes feel it's the easy one to target them when something goes wrong. Oh, well, it's football's fault. I always think is look, football's trying to get, and it should be better than it is, but it can be used for that positive view because you said more can be done. I absolutely agree with you. 
but I think it's a really positive vehicle. And we were talking about it before as well, Andrew, when we said, I, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, change will take time. But if you keep chipping away at things and making small steps, it's amazing. Like, you know, I, I'm one of the elder statesmen on the, on this uh, podcast here tonight. Um, I'm feeling very old looking at Ramsey and, and Peter in this in this video here. Like, But um, when you realise, I went to the county games back starting in 1983. That was my first experiences of it. And you realise the crowd reaction to things and what was said in that is so massive that my view on it is we've come such a long way. And I know people will talk about there's still a long way to go. And I understand that from their own lived and experience. But I always look at it and think, wow, if we've come that way in that length of time in my lifetime, then my children and the, the next, you know, when they're at my age, 45, 46, they're going to have a lot better life because of the experiences that people are learning what's acceptable and not, not acceptable. Yeah, and, and for what it's worth, I appreciate it might sound like I'm painting a doom and gloom picture of sport for LGBTQ plus people, and in particular men's football, in particular men's football in Scotland. From all the conversations I've had with people, and when I say that, I'm talking people at the SFA down yeah. to you know, North Cali clubs, women's football clubs who would be seen maybe more at the grassroots end of the scale, even though they're still senior football or still competitive football. Everybody is well-intentioned. Everybody wants Scottish football to be a more welcoming place, to be a more inclusive place. It does just come back down to that resource. Um, I really do think that's the key thing because there's nobody, I think, at any football club that would openly say, we do not want X group of people to be coming along to the to our matches or to be involved in playing in the teams or you know at a youth level to be getting involved. Everybody wants things to be better. Everybody wants things to be going in the right direction. And that in itself is very, very valuable because that has to give me some faith that it will get there. Things will catch up. But I, I said I had a few stats for, for you earlier on. <laughs> Across Europe, 82% of LGBTQ plus people who take part in sport experience some sort of homophobic abuse or transphobic abuse or biphobic abuse and that's not necessarily directed towards them that might be a shout in the crowd that is directed at somebody on the pitch but 82 percent of people have experienced that so yes things have changed i'm not denying mm -hmm. that at all Stephen. i've no doubt it's night and day compared to when you first started going yeah. to that but that Again, doesn't mean we don't have more scope. yeah what we see is the people's lived and experiences so you're basing your experience on, on, on what you've done. And that's great, Andrew, because you bring out the stories to us and the feelings and the emotion of it. And I always look at it from a point of view is that's me looking at from the experience that I had from, from the way I've experienced and seen all the change in that and stuff. So I always think, actually, Andrew, in fairness, you're always really positive when you talk about it. You know, it's a positive thing that you're doing. Do you know what I mean? That, that can only be a positive thing is trying to, bring stories and education and things to people, which I think is the key to the whole, the whole, you know, the whole conundrum of everything that goes on with us. Do you know what I mean? And, and we've been talking about that. It, you know, how do you, how do you get that message across? How do you make people understand better? But I always look at it from, from my experiences, the, the, the way it's, it's progressed over the time. And that's why it gives me real hope that things will progress to be a lot better still. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, absolutely. And it's easy for me to say maybe because I've not had those experiences either, when it, which, which I imagine Andrew can, as you said, drag you down each time it happens and exasperate you. But then I always think is, you know, I always think hopefully though me saying that to you gives you hope that I can see that I've noticed a difference in my lifetime, and that you know that will be 
as time goes by that those changes will take place like do you mean absolutely as i say, I have no doubt things are much better than they were i mean i reckon things are much better than they were 10 years ago um, oh yeah never mind going any further back than that um and i guess peter asked me earlier what i want this panel to do what my aim for it is and i said change some minds i think an element of that is just opening eyes maybe as much as it is changing minds because there are probably shouts at football matches that i would pick up on that i would be aware of and i would realize that's a homophobic slur that's being used that Mm. i don't mean to put any of you down or diminish any of your experiences i imagine none of you would register just because yes. you wouldn't be thinking about it. You wouldn't be as conscious of it. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that because why would you be, right? Mm-hmm. But this is what I am hoping to do with the panel. And this is what I try to do with things like Pride of the Terraces and by coming on a podcast like this and talking about it is maybe just open some eyes to this does still go on. And if one of you was to hear a shout at a match at some point in the near future it might strike a bit more of a chord with you than it, it would have a few weeks ago. And you might be more conscious of that and you might be more likely to call it out and we might be more likely to eradicate it long-term. I'm not saying overnight or within a few weeks or months, or maybe even years, but long-term, the more that sort of thing happens, the more likely we are to actually get rid of it from stadiums overall. Um, so different perspectives are, are crucial but just when it comes to recognizing it in the first yeah. place as well never mind relating to somebody else and, and understanding it. it it's literally just somebody says something in a crowd and one person will think it's homophobic and one person won't yeah. that doesn't mean either of them are invalid but it might mean somebody has a bit of learning to do and a bit more yeah. understanding to gain can we just go back to the bit where we were talking about um, rural communities and non-rural communities am I right in saying you're from around Aberdeenshire yeah I am originally from Fraserburgh mm-hmm. so oh. like 40 miles north of Aberdeen. I count that as rural. It's one of the bigger places mm-hmm. in Aberdeenshire, but I still count that as rural. Uh, so was your experience quite isolating, if you don't mind me asking? My experience was a bit of a weird one because I was in denial for so long. <laughs> um, I didn't come out until I was like three quarters of the way through uni and I was like 19 or 20. So I'd kind of already left. Um but I do think it's a lot of what I will talk about growing up as part of the LGBT community is done with the benefit of hindsight because of that. Um, and it's pretty easy for me to say that had I not left and gone to uni in the central belt, it would have taken me a lot longer to come out because I wouldn't have felt as comfortable. I mean, growing up, I people who weren't even out people who I, I don't even know might not actually be part of the lgbtq plus community were what i would now call bullied at the time i would have used that wonderful term banter um now i would say they were bullied at school for being camp it's not that they had to come out as gay it's not that anybody knew for sure that they were this or that or whatever but they got a lot of stuff thrown their way i was about to say another word starting with s there um and I was in denial at that point and I probably didn't at the time consciously think, well, this is a reason why I'm in denial or why I'm not coming out or anything like that. But in hindsight, it definitely didn't help. Um, Just being around that sort of environment and seeing what could be inflicted upon people 
who weren't openly gay or anything like that, why on earth would you come out in that sort of environment? Why on, el- why on earth would you put that target on your back? Um, and I know people, I've had one or two conversations with old school pals since I left who have since come out as something um, who never left and they have not had good experiences. Some, I don't know if that's a specific family thing or you know the, the crowd that they were in or if that is a, a more wider cultural thing with Fraserburgh, with Aberdeenshire. Um, interestingly, I actually think the Highlands are a little bit more progressive than Aberdeenshire is. I'm not entirely sure why, but just from the conversations I've had with people, maybe it's just where I'm at in my life. Maybe it's, it's coming out from a bit more of a mature perspective than having had much more of these conversations now than I would have 10, 15 years ago. Um, but I do think there's a difference even across the north of Scotland comparing rural to rural. rural. Um, oh God, rural to rural was also more difficult to say than I thought it was going to be. I'm giving myself all the tongue twisters tonight. Um, so I guess growing to answer, properly answer your question, growing up, I never consciously felt like it was isolating, but in hindsight, yeah, it absolutely was. And that absolutely was a factor in me not embracing who i was more quickly uh, i feel like we're going to start sounding like really cheesy and saying stuff like that but it's true it is absolutely true i was only going to uni and seeing that representation from people who had come from different backgrounds who were living as their authentic selves in day-to-day lives that kind of inspired me to take on that mantle myself and be like no this isn't a phase this isn't going away and i can do this and this is going to be fine it's going to be great just moving on from that scene as we're on to the personal side, Andrew, how's, you know, as, as a football journalist and working in football in your day-to-day life, how has that been for you uh, as a part of this group? And, you know, would you say your experience has been positive overall or have there been, been moments that you found tough? You know, how's it been? By and large, it's been a non-issue, which kind of goes back to what I was saying before, that I think most people genuinely don't care. Um, to, to put that into some context, as far as I know, and that's always the qualifier with this, as far as I know, I am the only out male sports journalist in Scotland. Um, which I don't know if that'll come as a surprise to people or not. Um, and now I've said that, there's every chance I'm just forgetting somebody. But as far as I know, that is the case. So um, it's, it's very rarely a topic of conversation. Uh, the only time I can really remember anybody in a press box talking about LGBT stuff with like a big focus was, it was actually after a Ross County match. Uh, do you guys remember that a few years back, Michael Gardine was accused of using a slur against yeah, Rainbow? Yeah. That happened yeah. during Rainbow Laces. Oh, and it did, didn't it? Yeah. It took until like the 60th or 70th minute or whenever the actual incident occurred. And somebody turned around and went, it's rainbow laces, isn't it? And he's accused of saying this. I'm like, yeah, it is, isn't it? You wouldn't know, not even thinking that they were linking those parts. I was just like, yeah, we should be doing more for rainbow laces. Um, so that then became a bit of a thing that day. And, and there again, you know, when we got wind of what had apparently been said, and obviously Gardine was clear, there were no like disciplinary procedures brought against him. Um, he claimed he never said it, so that's believing him and, and you know, that's given the benefit of the doubt with that one and, and say he was telling the truth. When we got word through of what he had apparently said, yeah, my heart absolutely sunk. Cause I was like, Oh great, here we go. Um, I guess there was a while I was waiting for something to happen. 
and I was waiting for some sort of incident or some sort of shout. And it took me a little bit of time to feel like actually it's fine. <laughs> Nobody cares. Scottish football isn't that bad of a place. Um, so that was probably the only time where I could say it kind of affected me a little bit um, just because I was like this team that I cover week to week, this guy that I've interviewed, you know, multiple times has apparently said this thing, which would be really bad if he had said this thing um, during this time of the year where it was all supposed to be about inclusion. It was just like, it was, it was that perfect sort of like, this is going to be a national story and I'm going to be like right at the center of this because I've got this different perspective. I'm going to be reporting on it. And it's like, yeah, that, that was fun in, in the most ironic way possible. Um, but obviously, like I say, nothing came of that and he denied it. And I want to say that was New Year's Eve. The final thing came through where he was cleared of anything. So I think I hopped onto my work laptop on Hogmanay and put that story online just because I was like, no, I'm covering this. I'm doing this. Um, the only other I did... So this is the thing. I've been in this job for like six years now, and I think I have once consciously heard a homophobic slur get thrown about at Ross County. So like generally things are pretty good, right? <laughs> generally, I haven't had anything to worry about. And that time that it did happen, so around about the press season, you guys know this, but the listeners might not, we usually have hospitality around us. Um, and I think it was somebody in hospitality that had shouted something as opposed to like a, an every week match day going fan. Um, so I haven't heard anything since. I don't know if that guy's ever been back. Um, but I reported it and at the time it was Dale Pride McDonald, who was the media officer. And, and he was just like, we'll take care of it. Thanks for letting me know. Um, I haven't heard anything else since. In the press box, uh, I think once... I was chatting to somebody pre-match and I think I might have been wearing some of those badges I was talking about earlier and I don't even remember what we were talking about, but he did make a point of being like, I would have no problem with anybody being gay. And I was just like, okay, great. That's, the proof is in the pudding, right? And people can say what they want. It depends if they then go and write a really homophobic article or really minimize an incident or something. That's more what I would pay attention to. Um, but generally being about matches... Yeah, it, it's been fine. And I would tell any sort of LGBTQ plus young person looking to get into sports journalism, it will probably be fine. <laughs> the same way anybody looking to get into sport, it will probably be fine. People don't care as much as you think they do. So go for it. Don't let that hold you back. Stephen Gerrard went on the pitch and I, I was at the game. It was the time during lockdown when there was only so many fans allowed in. So it was quite, you know, it wasn't like you were sort of conscious of what was going on on the pitch and I couldn't figure out what was taking place at that point. But it was Gerard then afterwards spoke to the media and that's where it really sort of had sprang yeah. from at that point in time. So I remember the incident well. And the, the ironic thing about that is that, so for my own site, Pride of the Terraces, I usually interview LGBTQ plus athletes. But I think up until this last year for Rainbow Laces, I always flipped the script and I went and talked to Cali Thistle in Ross County. And mm. in more mainstream sports clubs and got figures from them talking about why Rainbow Laces is important. But right after that incident, I got in touch with Rangers LGBTQ plus fan group and did an article with them off the back of that incident mm. before anything had come out about what definitely had or definitely hadn't happened. You know, it was still it was still to be confirmed what what had been said and, and what any sort of disciplinary measures would be taken at that point. But that was the first time that I spoke to a fan group. 
certainly mm. a Scottish-based fan group about it. And it was, it was interesting because it wasn't any sort of circumstance that we would have wanted to connect in and wanted to be talking in. But yeah. there again, we're talking before about humanizing the issue and, and getting those relatable stories. And hopefully we managed to do that because I was able to talk to Rangers fans about an incident that apparently happened to a Rangers player about how that made them feel in pretty much real time. So it was something like the next week that I spoke to the head of Ibrox Pride. Um, and I, th- I think that was a really valuable thing to go and do. And obviously it was topical, so that helped too. But um, yeah, like sometimes you never know when these sorts of opportunities as a journalist will come up. And even if it is a negative incident like that, when it's something like this that I'm passionate about and passionate about making positive change for, you try to find a way to get some sort of positivity out of it. Um, and hopefully I managed to do that at that particular moment. But yeah, that was, that was a fun press box afterwards when Gerard came out and said, well, he said this and he has to be disciplined for it. It's like, okay, great. That's nobody actually has a clue if he said it or not. Let's, let's see what happens. However, it was interesting later on in that season when one of his Rangers players who was alone to Beacon did get caught and Gerard didn't then come out and comment. And that was always the interesting thing for me. Do you know what I mean? It's like, if you're going to call it out, you have to be consistent. You can't just see it for your own team and other people and that and stuff as well. And again, that's why I felt it was sort of not handled the best way it could have been. Because I think, as you said, there could have been a, a lot more educational stuff said around it. Do you know what I mean? And I think you did the right, handled the right way, Andrew, by going and trying to get a positive article from something that was a negative situation to try and educate people. But it just became a, yeah, it became more of a media story than the actual, you know, thing itself. And I always just thought that was disappointing, isn't it, at, at the time. I think, as you said, I think you handled it the right way by channeling your passion and trying to put something out there that could make people think, do you know what I mean? As opposed to just referring to the incident itself. Yeah, I think the the media storm is quite a common thing when it comes yeah. to any sort of LGBTQ plus story or topic. There's always somebody that has an opinion that actually doesn't really affect them, but yeah. they have to have an opinion on it because it's this hugely controversial thing. And it's a hugely controversial thing because all these people have opinions on it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, especially when it comes to something like this and context mm. media is guilty of that 100 percent, and yeah. i've probably been guilty of that myself at times too you know I'm, i'll have to hold my hands up and say i'm not perfect and i don't always approach things the right way um when you say that there was an instant later that season with a rangers player and Jared didn't exactly condemn it things like inclusion and equality should go way way beyond tribalism in football yeah it's yeah, not about or it's not about which club is being affected by this right is right and wrong is wrong that's yeah. what it come down to, and it should be as simple as that. Unfortunately, it isn't always, and that's people's passion to to use that word for their football club. Yeah, getting in the way, I guess, and I, that's not to blame them for that because I get it. Um, but that's where, yeah, the education and the relatability yeah. comes in to to maybe try and work through some of that sort of blind support or, or blind yeah. um uh, totally blanking what the opposite of support is the blind attacks on other players um yeah. or other clubs to to sort of get a base level where everybody is is unified and pulling in one direction that's quite interesting because i didn't actually think of because it's obviously um obviously really easy to go condemn this and to condemn that but that obviously football tribalism adds this 
extra layer to things where uh, to be honest it really shouldn't but um that's definitely something not necessarily to do with this topic but just in general life and talking about football that's definitely something that i'm guilty of i was thinking right um i'm going to think about this but county 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 like that's definitely something i'm guilty of so yeah thanks for um um bringing that up is not something i really considered and look, I totally get it. It's the same as there's a penalty shout in a game. And if you support X team, you think it is a penalty. If you support Y team, you think it isn't a penalty. That's just how football is sometimes. I completely understand that. I have felt that myself. I have had arguments with people being on one side of that debate. That is natural. I'm not never going to hold that against anybody. But I, I like to think, and actually, again, if we could probably use Rangers as an example of this, a few years back, I like to think if a player was racially abused on the pitch, there wouldn't be that side taking. I'm saying that thinking actually that kind of did happen in a European mm. game for Rangers a few years back. Um, but you'd like to think there wouldn't be. And there's no reason, despite LGBTQ plus stuff being painted as controversial in some sections of the media, there's no reason that should be any different. Actually, like I say, right is right, wrong is wrong human rights are human rights. Everybody should have the same opportunity to access things and to be able to go along and enjoy themselves in peace at things like a football match, regardless of their background, their demographics, you know, their age, disability, sexuality, gender identity, race, whatever it is, everybody should have the same opportunities. And that should trump this team and that team. I'd like to think it would. Maybe it doesn't mm. always, but maybe that's the next step where we need to get to, and it's overcoming that, as as opposed to some huge grand gestures when it comes to things like football versus homophobia or rainbow laces. Maybe it's actually a more core thing like that that that's the next step. I, I'm not I'm not going to come out and say straight away that's the answer, but you know maybe that's maybe that is actually the way forward. Um, why do you think it's because it's really strange to me because whenever like a racist incident happens to me for example i've immediately been given like all the resources i need to sort of report it and obviously get it dealt with you say that obviously in the media lgbtq issues are painted as controversial whereas race issues are like it's obviously as it is very cut and dry and i feel like lgbtq issues you said right is right and wrong is wrong why it goes back to the it was like almost the scaremongering I talked about earlier. Why do you think it's painted as, you know, controversial? I'm doing a lot of quote marks here. You <laughs> we can see you. I hope listeners get that impression. <laughs> like you are putting a lot of stuff in inverted commas. Um, I think the overarching answer is a lack of understanding. It's, it's still a fear of what people can't relate to. Um, and I think that, stems from the historical context that we can talk about LGBTQ plus people in the UK with. If we were talking about America, race is obviously a very controversial thing. Uh, it still is to this day, and that's not going to change anytime soon. The UK, while not by any means always being perfect on race, haven't had those issues as recently. Being gay was still outlawed in the UK up until the 60s. That's a very recent thing. That's, there are still people alive today who had grown into adulthood as a gay person while it was illegal to be gay, right? There, there's still those hangovers, there's still those lingering things that have 
informed prejudices, I guess. I don't know if that's too strong of a way to put it or not. I, I don't want to sound like I'm attacking people because, again, I'm not necessarily blaming anybody for that. That's just the way the society's gone and there are these historical reasons for it. Um, there are people who were taught for decades that being gay was wrong and that being gay was a sin and illegal and all these things. And that doesn't change overnight just because it's legalized. And that becomes even more extreme when things were legalized in the six days, but then you had the HIV AIDS crisis of the eighties where again, LGBT people, particularly gay men were demonized and HIV was called the gay cancer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've got, I, I'm looking over at my bookshelf in my living room right now, and I've got multiple books on the AIDS crisis. And a lot of that is how the media reported it. And it was very biased because there were still those prejudices there. There were still those overriding senses that being gay was wrong. And, and it was inherently wrong. And there were people in the 80s that said gay men deserve to get AIDS because they were gay and being gay was wrong. And it's those sorts of steps that people were taking that led to this undercurrent. And then you had, and I, I am conscious I'm getting quite political here, and I apologize for that. No, can t- keep going, yeah. But in the midst of the AIDS crisis, you then had Section 28 or Section 2A in Scotland, which thankfully, Peter Ramsey, you might be too young to know what that is. And I really hope you are. Um, but basically what it did was, I never sure of the exact wording of it, but it outlawed the promotion essentially of LGBTQ plus identities in public bodies, which there's a classic speech by the then prime minister, Margaret Thatcher, where she said, children are being taught they have an inalienable right to be gay, Um, which sounds crazy to us now in 2024, because being gay is not a choice. It's not a a, a social decision that somebody makes. And I think, I like to think that's well established, but that wasn't always the case. Um, So that legislation was in place in Scotland. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. That legislation in practice, because it was quite vaguely written and because places like or people like teachers didn't really know what they would be punished for and what they were allowed to do and what they weren't allowed to do. LGBTQ plus identities weren't acknowledged whatsoever in schools because teachers were scared they'd get sacked if they did acknowledge it. Teachers weren't openly gay. Um, I have heard stories of school kids being bullied for being gay and the teacher not being allowed to tell the bullies, stop doing that, being gay is okay. <laughs> because they were scared that that would have fallen foul of Section 28 and they would have lost their jobs for that. That legislation was in place in Scotland until 2000. It was in place in England and Wales until 2003. So kind of alluding back to something that Stephen said earlier about how quickly things have changed, that is still very recent history, Mm. right? I, I think I was actually the first year of school kids that went to primary one post Section 28. Wow. Which I, I was, I'm friends with people at uni who went to school in England who were at school while that was still a thing. And when you look at it like that, and that is 21 years ago in England, change doesn't happen overnight. Like we said earlier, it, it happens much more slowly than you'd think. And yes, huge steps forward have been made societally, politically. Gay marriage is a thing now. And, and to go from 
being gay, being banned from being talked about in schools in 2003 to gay marriage in 2015, I, I want to say, I, I might be mixing up my years, is an incredible rate of change. But those prejudices, those underlying experiences, those people who didn't agree with gay marriage are still very much about, they're still very much decision makers, they're still very much working in the media some of the time, and they still have those opinions. Um, Sometimes the target has changed. We're seeing a a huge attack over the last few years on trans people. And for me, that's because it's not socially acceptable to be homophobic anymore. So they've just changed their target. And hopefully in 15, 20 years, however long it takes, we will be looking back on the current media hype, I'm going to call it, around trans people and be thinking, well, that's outrageous. How did we let them get away with that? But I also am conscious that if we do get to that point, the target will probably have moved on to non-binary people or some other letter of the LGBTQ plus acronym. And these things don't go away because they just find a new target. So that's why I think it's still so controversial now, because actually a lot of these battles that were won in terms of rights and progress for the LGBTQ plus community are still so recent. And because of that, for the community, a lot of those rights and battles that were won still feel like really fragile wins. And it still feels like something that can be attacked and can still be brought down. Um, this has got very political and very off. No, keep going. <laughs> it has to be said. But like, I think that's why there's still so much controversy. It, it's because it's not something that's had the chance to become ingrained in society in the way that something like race relations has at this point. Um, And I will kind of bring it full circle and back to football. If the good intentions that I mentioned earlier, by football clubs and by governing bodies and by individual people working in the sport are legitimate, for all of those reasons and all that history that I just spoke about, that's why I think it's so important that they act on it. And it's not just a passive thing. It's not a token gesture that they actually proactively go about making their space, at the very least, inclusive and welcoming. And with the influence that men's football in particular has, and obviously women's football is growing and starting to have more and more of that influence, but men's football is still so dominant. With the influence that that has, that can then help solidify some of those rights and some of those changes that we have seen over the last 20, 25 years and help keep pushing that bar. I, I, somebody, I can't remember who it was now, and that's going to really annoy me because this was a perfect analogy. Somebody once said to me that the battle for equality is like driving a car up a hill that just keeps going uphill and uphill and uphill. As long as you are pushing that and fighting for it, and for the analogy, as long as you've got your foot on the accelerator, you will keep going up that hill. But the minute you rest and take your foot off, you'll start rolling back down. And I think we're at a point in Scotland where there are some people who are trying to put their foot down that accelerator, but there's a lot of other people who have taken their foot off the gas. And they're maybe not quite rolling back down yet, but they're stalling where they are. So again, going back to sort of the changing mind and not just preaching to the choir, it's those people that we have to try and convince to make that effort 
again, to keep things going in the right direction. I mean, sorry, guys, this has just turned into a bit of a political and societal <laughs> rap. That was, ex- that was excellent. I just, yeah, I just don't know who's going to speak next. Uh, the only thing I was just going to say, Andrew, is obviously you were talking about, you know, talking about, you know, the legislation back in the 60s and all that and stuff as well. And um, what I always think is, you know, you were saying, I don't know if it's the word prejudice. I think what it is, it's, it's the people's influences at the time. And I, what I have found is I notice generational changes now. You know, as that generation then moves on from this earth, you bring in a generation that never had that experience. Do you know what I mean? That wasn't there. It wasn't their upbringing. It wasn't their education to, to believe something. And you see that people' mindset does change. I think again, that's another positive you can look at. And it's not like it, it's just nature of time that that will happen. But again. Obviously, Ramsey and Peter wouldn't have had the same experience of growing up that I've had. But you know, we're, I'm talking about going to school in 1983 when I when I was in school in the primary one, the belt was still in place. Do you know what I mean there was all this sort of things that went on, and it was a, just a different time where things were very sort of raw and and uh, uneducated in reality, which is is ironic because you're going to school to learn. Do you know what I mean? But it was just a very raw time for you know growing up in that and stuff as well. But that's the influences we had. So our experiences can, could be very easily moulded on that. So I can imagine for anyone growing up in that sort of 60s generation with everything else that went around it. And you have to factor in there was world wars and everything else going on at that time. Do you know what I mean? That how people's influences would be maintained by something told this is what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. Um, and in reality it wasn't, but that was just their influences. So again, I think what you find is I, I've noticed, especially youngsters nowadays, it's inspiring to see the generational change in them and how they view things differently. And it's, it's you know, if anything, sometimes you feel like the youngsters are teaching the, the adults these days. Absolutely. And, you know, I think I've had, I mentioned before that for Rainbow Laces, I talked to people at the quote unquote mainstream football clubs. And one of the conversations I had one year was with Stephen Ferguson about LGBT inclusion. And he was talking about the education his kids were getting in schools. Mm. and how wildly different that was to his yeah. own upbringing. And it's exactly what you're saying there. And that idea of generational change is absolutely one that comes up time and time again. And it's one that I believe in. Um, but it, I do find it funny when people almost use that in itself to attack the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. I've seen the clip a load of times, but again, this may just be my social media algorithms and it's entirely possible none of you have seen this. Um, where somebody talks about the explosion of young uh, millennials, Gen Zs, identifying as gay, bisexual, whatever part of the LGBTQ plus community that they do, and how those numbers keep going up and up and up and up. And it's like, well, how is this not indoctrination? You know, how is this not something that society is causing? And the guy's response is just to bring out a graph of the amount of people who are left-handed because, again, Ramsey, Pierre, you might not know this, there was a time where that was beaten out of kids at schools because yeah. it was seen as evil. Sinister, as in left, also has the same root as sinister, as in like bad and evil. Um, My mum was taught to write with her right hand, and she's left-handed. There you go. So that was absolutely a thing at one point. And once they stopped doing that, the number of people who recorded themselves as left-handed spiked amazingly because they weren't getting punished for it anymore and eventually it leveled out and it's not that there was suddenly a huge amount more people who were left-handed that's how many left-handed people there all always were they were just able to be left-handed now that's currently where we are with the lgbtq plus community 
it's not that people are being taught to be gay or being taught to be trans. It's that it has never, despite all of the challenges I've talked about and despite things still mm-hmm. potentially are still having the potential to get much better, it has never been safer to be LGBTQ+. We're currently in that bit of the graph where we're going up and it hasn't leveled out yet. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with that. That doesn't mean that's something that we should be looking to address and reverse. That's just how many people identify as those things and we're still waiting for it to get to its true level. Um, so, oh God, I really have like turned this into a history lesson. Now, <laughs> it's it's brilliant. Brilliant. It's like, yeah, you, you can tell. I know we've all talked about this a little bit already on this recording. You can tell I'm passionate about this, right? You can tell I've done my research and done a lot of reading about this. I can literally and have literally had hours and hours worth of conversations about exactly these things with so many people. Um, so again, thank you for giving me the platform to do that here. And, and let's keep going. If you're listening, listen to that passion. Get to Eden Court, 9th of February, 7 p.m. Be there. Absolutely. Because, I mean, I mentioned it earlier, it's LGBT History Month as well. So one of the things I was planning on doing was asking some of the panelists about Section 28 and about some of the impact that has had on them growing up. And in particular, sometimes their relation to sport, because a lot of LGBTQ plus people have really, really bad memories of school PE. Um, and that's not a coincidence. It really isn't. So like, if... If you're listening to this and you didn't know about some of that history of the LGBTQ plus community, um, uh, Peter Ramsey, one of you might want to come in on how you've perceived that from maybe outside the community and in schools being that little bit younger. But if you're listening to this and didn't know much about that, you will also be able to learn a little bit about that and about people's experiences and what they felt going through some of that at this panel. Because um, I think that's a really important thing to shine a light onto. I think when I was in school, I think, I, I'm not sure if the, your experience was the same, Pete. I think I almost saw live how it be, be, sort of became less acceptable to be homophobic because towards mid, like middle to the end of primary school, a lot of kids were starting to use the word gay as an insult. And mid to the end of secondary school, if someone used that, they'd be called with that. So that was that was really good to see. And um, looking back, I probably wasn't thinking about that at the time, but it was almost a like a, a live experience of, I'm not sure whether to say history, but it was, yeah. A how, cultural how, shift. A cultural shift. That's like, well, yeah, see why, you, see, see why you're the best journalist in the room. Um, <laughs> I, I thought you were going to go big just still on that for a second. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Stephen's saying you've called Peter out right there. Oh, you've just, you've just talked him Peter down there, like called on to the best journalist in the room. Peter's raging there, like you know? well, I'm a year below Pete in the journalism course, so <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Stephen's last interview that I heard on County Core podcast with uh. It's Andy from former Ross County player. Was, oh yeah, Andy McLeod. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. absolutely incredible. I was jealous of that one. So maybe Stephen's the best journalist. Well, <laughs> and I knew I'd be in safe hands with this after listening to that one. Oh, well, <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, to, to sort of go back to what we were saying before, I was at school very much at the time when gay was being thrown around as like awful uh, and just a bad thing in general for everything. And 
it's interesting that that in itself has been a generational thing. Um, there's a lot of probably slightly older people who absolutely despise the word queer and will never identify with that and will never sort of placate any talk of having reclaimed that. And I get that because the reasoning for it is that that was the last word that a lot of people heard before they were killed. And, and you can't really argue with that. But that also doesn't change that as things went on and next generation came through, gay became the main slur. It, it wasn't um, queer, it, it was gay. And it was, oh, that's so gay. It just became commonplace everywhere in school. And that very much was the era I was there at. And I remember being absolutely amazed that I think it was three years after I left, um, I found out that there was an LGBT club at my old school. And suddenly these have popped up all around Scotland. And I think it's an amazing thing. I think it's incredible. Um, and it just seemed to happen overnight as far as I was concerned. Cause it was like one year I looked and there weren't any, or I wasn't aware of any. And then suddenly half the schools in the area suddenly had them and, and it's brilliant. And like, I could never have imagined going along to a club like that. Uh, I could never have imagined a club like that existing at my school. So I, I, I feel like there's sometimes some contradictions in what I'm saying here and that progress doesn't happen as quickly as you want it to, but also that bit, particular specific bit of progress seemed to happen in the blink of an eye. Uh, and I think that is doing a lot of good. And I've gone and done an interview with some kids at one of the clubs in Inverness schools about it and about the impact that that's had on them. And that's one of the favorite articles I've, I've probably ever written. Um, just because I wanted to do that for literal years once I found out those sorts of clubs existed. And uh, I don't know, Ramsey and Peter, again, being that bit younger, if that sort of thing was there when when you guys were at school. But um, it absolutely does give me hope that things are changing with the generations and that things will continue going in the right direction, he says, fingers crossed. I think there was a LGBTQ club at my school. Um, I'm not too sure how... Uh, how many numbers they had or anything but I remember it would always be on when we were in registration we'd always have like the clubs in the days um, um, uh, on the board at the front and uh, I'm not sure if it's still there I've not been back to my old school since um, I left but I hope it is and uh, just have a lot of respect for those kids because I like remember how Obviously, growing up in secondary school, you're so desperate for attention and validation. It must add a whole extra layer of just being scared. So just all the respect. Yeah, 100%. And the reason that I'm so happy that those sorts of clubs exist is because that might be the only space where some of those kids feel that love and respect and validation. Um, so <laughs> while it's very easy for me to say in hindsight, I probably wouldn't have gone along to a club like that. I am very happy that it exists now for the younger generation and I know it will be doing some good. 100% it will be. It has to be because you know, being around like-minded people, even if that's just supportive allies who are coming along to be there with a friend, that will do people the world of good at a really important stage of their life and their development um, and their understanding of who they are themselves. And that it's honestly difficult to put how powerful that can be into words. <laughs> what I would say, Andrew, is again, I think the good thing is that the history stuff that you're bringing is, it, it validates what you're talking about, society and, and football, and that they work together, but they're, you know, they can work together, they work apart, but there's the influences 
in both sides and that and stuff as well. And I think you're making some really good points on it as well. So don't be scared to be uh, um, bringing that up because I think it's important people understand. It's always for me, it's about the education side of it as well. And it's, it's good to understand where those influences come from as well. Good, bad or indifferent. You know what I mean? I know that, again, it was a really good example about people growing up in the 60s and what their influences were and how their mindset would be, you know, influencing as a youngster for the rest of their generation. Because we know ourselves, as youngsters, you can have influences which can have a massive impact for the rest of your life. And that's the way you, you observe life from then on in. So it's very hard then to change that mindset as people move through life because that's always an influence so no I think you make some really good points and I really enjoy the history side of it as well because it ties in exactly what you would you know explain how, how things then come about and how then I suppose it helps promote change as well just to and build on what Steve, Steve oh sorry Andre go ahead no no go for it Sorry, um, just to build on what Stephen said, I think there are a few points tonight where Andrew said, oh, I don't want to be too political or um, whatever. I think it's I think it's um, important that we don't shy away from these things, whether it be history or maybe even something that would make some people a little bit uncomfortable. Because I think it's important to be, uh, do I say, like maybe even confronted with, with these things. If you like, you know, cycle back in your head, oh, was there a situation years or months or weeks ago that I could have handled a little bit better in the way? I talk about LGBTQ issues or could I have said this or should I do this in the future? I think even if it's maybe not so comfortable to speak about some parts of it, I think it's important. So when you say, oh, I don't want to be too political, I think it's genuinely important and, you know, even brave to talk about and bring up some, yeah, full props to you. Thank you for that. I, I do, I do feel like it's important. I wouldn't be so passionate about this and I wouldn't have written the articles that I have if I didn't genuinely think these needed to be out there and that they could do some good out there. Um, I guess I'm, I'm wary of getting too political because I know there's a good chance not everybody listening to this will agree with much of what I'm saying. Um, and I will be very interested to see as and when this pops out onto both the Staggies View and County Corner Feeds, what sort of feedback you get from it, because I anticipate there will probably be some comments like we were saying earlier, who cares? Or potentially some stuff that's even a bit stronger with how controversial LGBTQ plus topics are made out to be right now. Um, so I, I, it doesn't stop me saying the things that I feel and that I believe, but I, I guess I'm just conscious that there may be some people who are sitting shouting at the screen or, you know, shouting at their headphones, hearing me talk about this and just being like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And I, I wish that wasn't the case. I wish that those people could understand where I was coming from more, but it's kind of feels inevitable <laughs> in a lot of ways, I guess, um, which I don't know, maybe in itself, that's part of the issue. You'd be surprised, Andrew, how many more, positive things you will get from this than the, the negative. I know how it, it, it can make you feel and you can focus on that one negative comment. But for every one negative comment, I'm sure there'll be 10 positive comments and a lot of people that are probably after listening to this type of interview and, the, and your event as well that will actually be positively influenced by it and, and will then think about things maybe in a different way to support the likes of yourselves and everyone else in what you're doing. Do you know what I mean? So I think that will be a positive. So I, that side of it in itself is really interesting for me because I, for the last year or so with the Inverness Courier, Osher Journal, all the, the various papers that we have at Highland News and Media, 
I've been writing a lot of LGBTQ plus stuff. Um, they asked me to write more of it off the back of what I was doing with Pride of the Terraces. And I've gone past sport and into just general LGBTQ plus topics. And most of the feedback we get is negative. And that isn't to say that most people disagree. It's to say that the people who take the kind of like what I was saying before, with if you're taking the time and effort to comment, who cares? You care. Otherwise, yeah. you wouldn't be doing that. Most of the people who comment on Facebook underneath an article in the Inverness Courier feed are doing it to complain. Regardless of yeah. the story, probably. They're, they're doing it to complain. They're doing it to say, we don't agree with this. How, how dare you write about this sort of stuff? And I know that my editors have had emails and letters saying, mm. why is LGBTQ stuff suddenly getting you know, more prominence? You know, shouldn't you be spending your time on something better? Um, I, I haven't seen all of the messages every chance there's something a bit more severe and a bit more angry than that. And generally, what I find is that the people who agree, the people who, whose minds might be changed, the people who's actually having a tangible impact on are the ones who will read those articles, think, oh, that was really good, and then move on with their life. And I don't tend to get that feedback. And I get it, and I'm yeah. happy to, to be having that sort of influence if I am having that sort of influence and not know about it. Um, but it does mean sometimes it can feel a bit one-sided. But that also then makes the rare times I do get a message from somebody saying, thank you for writing this. This has really, really helped me. I, I've had a message from somebody who I, I think is based in Inverness, um, but I don't know for sure. I know they weren't originally from the Highlands. I had a message from somebody who was involved in sport uh, mm. saying really just what you don't know me, but just wanted to take the time to message you and say, this has really helped me. Um, that person had only recently come out as, as gay and they were well into adulthood at that point. And knowing that I was able to have some sort of positive impact on that person's life. And I've had maybe three or four messages along those sorts of lines that I, I can it's, it's again, it's really difficult to put into words how good that makes me feel and how validating that is for this passion and for these things that I write to have that outlet and do something with it to then know that it is reaching that audience and yeah. it, it is doing good things. And I might not always hear about them, but it's still having that impact even when I don't know about it. Um, yeah, it's, I, when I first, this is going to sound like it's a, it's a huge tangent, I promise it's not. When I first joined TikTok and I started doing videos about some of the stories I was writing, one of the first questions I got was, like, what's the biggest thing you've ever done in journalism? And my answer was starting Pride of the Terraces because of that exact reason, because of the people who have reached out to me, because of the doors it's opened for me, because of the events like this one that I've been able to put on. It might not seem like the most prestigious thing, but to me... I mean, I loved going and reporting at games at Hampton and I loved having the drama of the playoff final. But what gets me out of bed in the morning with journalism is the idea that I can help people and that I can do some good in this world. And I think it's when I can tie stuff in with the LGBTQ plus community, whether that's sport or not, that's when I feel like I'm having the most benefit to society and on the world and to people. So that's what I found, uh, I mean, you've seen it here. You've seen it over the last couple of hours as we've been recording this. That's what has become like my real passion 
out of this. And if I can tie it in with something sporty, if I could tie it in with something like Ross County, all the better. There's like yeah, a I think out there. Sorry, guys. I've gone from political right. history lesson to full on like emotional and like. <laughs> no, that's I think, really special, Andrew. Yeah, no, that's just what I was going to say. I think. I mean, well, Ramsey will buy me up on this. I think on Staggy's view, anyway, we we're not the you know, the most serious when we're recording ourselves. So I think it's important that we tackle you know these important issues. And I think coming together with yourselves, Ross and Stephen, has been really important. So. Yeah, I just want to say thank you, Andrew. I think it's been really insightful and quite inspiring as well. Um, but it's been good, and I've I think you've taught me a lot, certainly. And I think to the hopefully people, be a lot of people listening to this who'll be in the same boat. So thank you. Thanks for sharing your story, Andrew, and thanks for speaking so at length. It's been I've been hanging on to every single word. It's it's so it's just good to hear you speak so openly and. I don't know any other adjectives, but it's been really, really special, Andrew. So thank you so much. I mean, we were never worried about me speaking at length, were we? I mean, even from some <laughs> of the brief conversations I've had with you, Peter and Ramsey, about this, Stephen and Ross got it all the first time I went on County Corner. We ended up chatting for <laughs> one hour after we recorded about some of these things. You, you've I, been I, talking, I it was longer than that. that <laughs> I was going to say, Andrew, you've been talking that long. The transfer window's now shut. <laughs> you know what I did actually look over at my phone at one point just being like has anything happened <laughs> but I don't think it has so um, yeah we're all good but um, I, I'm I'm glad that you guys have enjoyed it and feel like you've taken something no, from it it's been brilliant Andrew really appreciate it it's been so insightful and, and really enjoyed it so I really appreciate your your, your openness and, and sharing your story with us it is really appreciated mates it's been brilliant yeah, and I'll, I echo everything that everyone's just said there as well. It has it's, it's it's been great, and I guess just to end off from our part, do you want to just give a last little promo for the event coming up and just? Yeah, absolutely. So at Eden Court, uh, it's going to be in the One Touch Theatre as well. So um, we've got quite a good space for it on from seven pm on Friday the 9th of February. We're going to be hosting Seen and Heard Live with uh, a couple of panel discussions. One focused around building LGBTQ plus communities in sport, and the second one focusing a bit more on some individual stories from people who have been right at the very top of their field, like Inverness's own Jamie Bowie, who's a a Scottish record holder and Commonwealth Games runner. He's also coached and managed at the Olympics, Paralympics and Commonwealth Games. We've also, and I said this in the first bit and I'll say it again, apologies for going over the bridge for this one, but we do have a Cali Thistle women's player. Um, Kaylee McKenzie is going to be with us um, sharing some of her stories. And when we were talking a bit before about growing up in rural areas, Kaylee's actually from Starnaway. So we're going to be talking a little bit about growing up LGBTQ on the islands as well, which I personally am quite interested to find out a bit about because that's not a conversation I've had much. Um, and we're also going to have trans footballer and researcher Blair Hamilton, who has played to a national university level, is originally from Ayrshire, has been up at Aberdeen and has some uh, quite groundbreaking research um, that she's hopefully going to be sharing a bit about and uh, divulging some information on. So it's going to be a great night. If you've enjoyed listening to to this podcast, it's just going to be more of this, basically, but with more people other than me talking about it. Um, so come along. It'll be a great evening. Hopefully be really valuable for a lot of different people, regardless of your backgrounds. And uh, yeah, hopefully everybody will be able to take something from it. Thanks again, guys, for having me on. Really appreciate it. <laughs> No, it's been great. Thank you very much, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. Cheers, Andrew.